So uh, how many of you actually made a mistake this week? Any of you? Oh, I'm in good company. I made a mistake yesterday. As I was going out the door, my wife said to me, and she handed me a scarf, a toque, and, and my snowmobile mitts. And she made me promise I would wear them today because it's going to be cold in the church. And because I made the promise, I had no choice. I had to keep my word. It was a mistake. It was unnecessary. But now if you see her and she were to ask you, you can tell her, I obeyed. Now, I must confess, I was going to do a little commercial because she handed me two options in toques. And this actually is my favorite toque. It actually says in the New England Patriots on it. For any of you that actually understand football, there is really only one team. I know there's all kinds of prejudice with people for other teams, but I can't help it if they're wrong. <laughs> We're in our brand new series, Listen, Learn, Live for the Father. I, um, I love children, don't you? There's something amazing about a newborn child, and, and, then, and, then they, and then they start to become aware, and they smile at you, and, uh, and then, they, and then they, 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 they start to crawl, and, and, then they, and, then, and then they have minds of their own, and I know, but, you know, and then, and then they walk, and then they talk. Have you ever noticed a four-year-old can't walk? Have you noticed that? Run, hop, bounce, skip, jump, walk occasionally. But they do all those other things all the time. I finally figured out the difference between a toddler and a child. Do you know what the difference is? When a toddler falls, they get up bottom first. And when a child falls, they get up head first. Have you noticed that? I love children. Um, I hate to confess this, but my daughter is raising a criminal. He doesn't look much like a criminal, but he was in the store with his mom, and she, she turned around to say something to him, and in his hand, he had one-third of a chocolate bar, because the other two-thirds had already been eaten. Took it off the shelf. It was sitting where I'm somewhere, standing somewhere, I don't know. He grabbed it anyway, and two-thirds. So she really dealt with him about that. She actually asked to see the store manager, and she made him apologize to the store manager. And he just grinned. He, he said he was sorry, but he wasn't sorry at all. He'd already got two-thirds of the chocolate bar. It didn't matter. He'd already won. Hmm. None of us raise our children to be criminals, folks. We don't plan to do that. We don't want to do that. Do, 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 do you remember, how many of you are parents? Do you remember when your child was born and you were sure that they were perfect and then they turned out like you and me, <laughs> you know? Um, you knew that the first word out of their mouth was going to be mommy or Daddy, and instead the first word was not that, but this, right? Uh, no, or mine. It's amazing how selfish little tykes can be, and they hardly can talk yet. They just 
build themselves around themselves and the world around themselves. I, I, I ran across an article a while ago. I hope you can handle it. had a little humor this morning as we get started. Uh, this is toddler's ownership rights. They, um, they just, oh, children demand, right? So here they are. If I like it, it's mine. If I had it in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like it's mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. Oh, you're getting into this more, I can tell. You know these children. If it's broken, it's yours. No, 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 the pieces are probably still mine. If I don't want it, but you do, it's mine. Sometimes we call these children strong-willed children. (laughs) Just, you know, they're just... So what is the issue? Where does that come from? Isn't it interesting? You don't have to teach a child to be demanding. You don't have to teach a child to be deceptive. You don't have to teach a child to lie. Right? They come by it honestly. Here's the problem. The Bible says that we were born in sin. That's what God calls rebellion and strong-willedness. We were born in sin, and so every child is born with that, and they become sinners by birth and by nature both, and by practice, by birth nature and by practice. Unless we think it's only a child problem, we are pretty good at ourselves as adults. We just learn to cover it up a little bit better. And I mentioned this last week, but even people outside the kingdom, They have standards of their own. They have rules and regulations they've established for their own lives. And they don't keep those. So we have to imagine, folks, that if we have standards, if we make standards of our own, would the holy God not make some standards of his own as well? And he does. And he doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't ignore it. And so I want to talk to you today about this thing we call sin. Now, it's not a popular subject, and I know that. I know people don't want to talk about it. I just have a hard time getting by it because it's in the Bible. What a radical thought. And so while it's not popular, it's even an offense to people. And so let me say to you that sometimes the church adds to that. Sometimes we're very guilty of judging other people, aren't we? We're so quick. To, to look at the splinter in their eye and miss the beam in our own. And sometimes, sometimes we can be critical and judgmental. 
And, and hear my heart, if you're listening today to this message at some point, or if you're here today and you've been wounded or hurt by somebody in the church because they were so quick to judge and so quick to take offense and so quick to speak to you about issues that they don't know anything about because they don't walk in your shoes, and let me apologize to you. Because while God doesn't wink at sin, he doesn't ever hate the person doing it. God loves the person doing it. And God wants to reach to them and bring love to them. And so we need to understand that. I also don't want to share any list of sins with you. There's all kinds of them in the Bible. But sometimes when you do that, the very issue that you care about isn't in the list. And so you're not worried about it. And that's a bad thing as well. I also worry about is expecting people outside of the kingdom to live like people in the kingdom. Well, they have no ability to do that. They have no ability to have sins forgiven. They have no ability to step into grace and faith because that's all they know. They only can know what they're raised to do and what they're raised by. Is sin was a part of their nature, and then sin's part of what they've been taught and learned and grown in. And, and maybe, maybe just one more thought. Sometimes when we've been believers a long time, we forget how sinful we were. And it makes us more judgmental and more critical than we ought to be. So what happened? Where did all this come from? Well, it's interesting because Genesis tells us, sorry, let me skip that. Genesis tells us that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So, so you and I are made in the image of God, the original person. So what happened? Well, what happened, as we've already talked about it, it says in Romans this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death comes to all people, because all have sinned. And so that's where sin comes from. We have this ancestor called Adam. And because of him, sin entered the world because God did not make us robots. God gave us free will, and in his free will, he chose to disobey God, and sin entered the world because of that. And so you and I are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. That's the truth. That's what the Bible says, and we all struggle with that. In some measure, we all really know that without being told. We just know. So the problem is that sin has a terrible price attached to it. Sin is terrible consequence. Alienates us from God, disrupts the good in life, bring, breeds confusion, it robs of peace and adds discourse. Discord replaces harmony with disorder. It leads to enmity and broken relationships. And everybody on planet Earth is guilty. Everybody. There was an old adage I heard when I was a new believer, and I hope I have it right. I think this is still true. I think it is true, but I think I have it correct. Sin takes us further than we want to go, keeps us longer than we want to stay, and costs us more than we want to pay. Hmm. Anybody heard that before? Well, about three of you. I think it's true. Well, we've just finished a series on the giving God. And the truth is that God knows that we couldn't do a thing about our own sin. We were helpless. And yet God loved us, loves us still. Loved us so much that while sin separated us from God, and it did, God wanted to do something about it, and so he gave us his son, 
He gave us his son so that in his son we could have the forgiveness of sin and have a relationship with God. Look what the Bible says. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And Jesus said he came to give his life a ransom for many. And I love this. We talked about this a little bit in another service. When when Jesus came, the death and sacrifice of Christ was sufficient to satisfy God so that when we come to God through Jesus the satisfaction of God and the holiness of God is satisfied and you and I become the children of God and God is satisfied that we are that. It's amazing. Not only sufficient but it's efficient. It doesn't matter how big a sin we've been. It doesn't matter what we've done wrong. God's blood and the person of Jesus and his sacrifice is more than efficient to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, listen, God only not only removes the sin, he removes our guilt, he removes our punishment, he removes our separation. In spite of the guilt, God steps in and makes us his. It's incredible. I hope we never forget that. Because the minute we forget it, we become religious rather than Christian. The minute we forget it, we become holier than thou instead of a sinner who's been saved by grace. Can't ever forget that. We've been set free from ourselves, folks, and the nature that bound us. Thank God. And here's the reality. This has changed my life. It's ruined me. Just ruined me. It's ruined me. I've never met a person that God does not love and want in his kingdom. I've never met one of those people. Long time ago, long time ago now, uh, 1959, I think somewhere, I don't know where it was. Anyway, a man by the name of Lester was a drunk, and the only thing he liked to do more than drink was fight. And so my family and I, we weren't believers at the time. We were heading to a drive-in theater, and we came over the hill, and when we came over the hill, Lester was so drunk that day, he was driving on our side of the road, and we smashed together. My mom had just had surgery. I actually broke the incision apart. And I picked glass out of my face for a few months and damaged the knee and, and all kinds of damaged my sister, my dad. The car was a write-off. We were the only person who wasn't hurt in that accident a little bit was Lester. He was so drunk he didn't feel anything. He got out of the car and he kind of blamed us for being on the wrong side of the road. Anyway, time goes by and I became a believer, maybe 10 years or so. And Lester had a stroke. And a friend of mine who was one of my mentors, he said to me, Bill, why don't you come with me? We'll visit the hospital. I go to visit all the people in the hospital that nobody else visits. Got permission. I said, I'd love to do that. And I went to visit with him in the hospital. And guess what? In the hospital was Lester. He had a stroke, didn't talk really well, but still talked a little. And we went in and we had a visit. And Lester had given his heart to Jesus. And we wanted to pray with him, and he said, no, let me pray with you. And he prayed, and the presence of God filled the room. I never reminded him of that accident in June of 1959, because that Lester was gone. There's a new Lester. See, I've I've never met anybody God can't save. Have you? Well, if that's really true then maybe we ought to love them the way God loves, just in passing, just in passing. 
and the promise is there. We've used it already to all receive him who believe in his name. He gives the right to be called the children of God from last week and it's called judicial forgiveness. It's that moment where we pass from death to life, from lost to found, from dead to alive. It's that moment when we know that we know that we know that we have been forgiven and we are God's child. Do you remember? Is that amazing or what? I love it. I just love it. And I'll be a father to you. And you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then I saw a truth a couple of years ago now that I want to share with you today that just blows me out of the water. It absolutely startles me. I don't know why I never saw it before because it makes such sense. It's called parental forgiveness. Look what it says in the scripture. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Hear me, folks. That was not written to the world. That was not written to people outside the kingdom. That was written to people in the kingdom. It was written to believers, to children of God, to Christians. Because we are saved does not mean we will never sin again. Hmm. When, I was, um, when I was a child, I was a bit of a handful. Probably you can hardly imagine that. I'm sure you can't even imagine it at all. I was a bit of a handful. I was high-strung and determined and strong-willed and opinionated like your children, probably, uh, maybe more. I'm pretty convinced looking back that I would have been unriddling if I'd been born in a different age. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. All I remember is this. The, 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 the church we were raised in had its own school in our town and it did not have a kindergarten. But the other system did. So my mom made sure I went to kindergarten. I don't think it was because I was an early bloomer and so bright. I think they looked and said, wow, here's a way to get this kid out of our hair and out of the home for so many hours a day. I know you probably never felt that way about your children. Even You've never advertised them on eBay, have you? You've been tempted to a few times. Let's be honest. Come on now. Huh. Here's the reality. You're in the family. And as bad as I was, my family allowed me to stay. As many mistakes as I made, the family allowed me to stay. And no matter how many mistakes you make as a child of God, you're still in the family. Now, I know, I know, I know. They talk about this thing called the impardonable sin. Let me just say to you, if you think you've committed it, you haven't. I mean, that's just the reality because you wouldn't worry about it if you had. But we stay part as the family. You see, sin does not separate us from God. Even though you sin as a Christian, it doesn't take you out of God's family. You're still part of the family. And while it does separate us in a way in this sense, it doesn't separate us from God, it separates us from the best of God. That's the problem. It robs us of God's best. 
Now, this is really important. You need to hear this really carefully. Because we still sin as believers, none of us are all we should be. None of us are everything we want to be. None of us are ever going to be everything we want to and should be. But here's the important thing. It's not a license to sin. It's not says, okay, if I can't be perfect, I'll just go be as sinful as I want. I'll be all right with God. No, no, no. God doesn't wink at sin, even in the believer. Every sin still costs. It's not a license to sin. It is not. But, see, it doesn't also rob you of your salvation. I don't know what faith you were raised in, but when I became Pentecostal in grade 12 or whatever year it was, you know, I was raised in a church that was a little bit narrow and a little bit negative. You probably weren't taught this, but I was taught this, that if I went to the altar on Sunday night and I didn't get to the altar by the next Sunday night and had sin in the middle and God came back, I wasn't going to heaven. You do know, folks, that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and the blood of Jesus, not pencil. You know that, right? It's not a license to sin. It's not a loss of salvation. But at the other side is this. What it is is an invitation to be open and honest with the Father. I don't hear well. My hearing's been bad for a long time. I remember we were in high school, I think my hearing was bad because I didn't take the language as well. And I remember writing a French exam, and I don't know why she did this, but every time I wrote a French exam, the teacher came and stood over my shoulder and watched me write. And I think, I don't know enough French to pass this hardly. Why are you? And it was kind of silly because she was going to mark the paper anyway. Here's what I discovered about when you're a child of God and you understand you're still part of the family. When I fail, when I make a mistake, when I do something wrong, God doesn't hold it over me in judgment. He doesn't hold it over me in punishment. He doesn't hold it over me in condemnation. He's my Father. And what He wants me to do is come boldly and honestly and say, God, I blew it again. I made a mistake. I failed you again. Oh, God, please forgive me. I come to you honestly as my dad, and I want you to refresh and restore the relationship that I have with you. God, would you please do that? And God is quick to do that. He's just, he's just so quick. And we should keep short accounts with God, friends. You need to keep short accounts with, you know, you don't run up a lot of debt. You just don't let that happen. Because he's your father. You're part of the family. When you run up accounts a long time in families, you can actually break families apart. Because God is forgiving and perfect, he doesn't want that to happen. We're the ones who pull away from God, not the other way around. And God invites us to come back and be with him. I just, I love this verse. It's life-changing. Listen, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Am I the only one excited about this? Would you read this with me? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you know who that means? You and me. Isn't that amazing? Because we're part of the family. Because God is our Father. We don't look to sin, but when we do sin, we have an advocate. His name is Jesus. I love what this author said. When God and man say the same thing about sin, the blood of Christ dissolves 
the stains of sins. A writer by the name of Gangle said this. He calls it parental forgiveness. So when we sin, we go to our father as a trusting child. And our father forgives us. This is life-changing for me. It was. It's absolutely life-changing for me. It just, it, it just made such an access, an open door to the Father for me and my soul and my mind that when I fail, I used to feel guilty about it. I still do to some degree. But, but I just I beat myself up over it, and I just, I, I just found myself welcomed in the Father to come and be forgiven. And it makes me want to stay in that place of forgiveness, it just does. It makes, me want, it makes me want to be there in that place of forgiveness. Some years ago, way back in, oh my goodness, way back in 1996, that's amazing. Way back in 96, I was, had the privilege of being elected as the leader of our fellowship. The official title was General Superintendent of the Fellowship of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And I remember, I remember being petrified <laughs> overwhelmed, unworthy, not, didn't know what happened hardly. I just was there and I didn't know what to do, so I left my name and the next thing I know, here I am leading the fellowship and I, I hardly know how to get out of the tub in the morning. <sighs> Frightening. I remember standing in the shower the next morning and I'm trying to get clean on the outside. As I'm getting clean on the outside, I remember talking to God and saying, oh God, I can't do this without you. I can't do it without you. But I know how I live matters. And so as I'm getting clean on the outside, would you cleanse me on the inside? Would you clean me up on the inside? And then I realized another truth. God, would you help me stay clean on the inside so I don't need to be forgiven as often or as much? Because somehow in all of this, you need to be the Lord of my life. Because I am your child. I am your child. See what love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what, is, that is what we are. Did you notice a little word in there called lavished? That's the kind of love the Father gives to us. It's not some weak love. This is not some held back love. This is lavished love. Hmm. Because he's our father, he wants what is best for us. How many of you are parents again? Don't tell me how you did it. How many of you as a parent has ever disciplined any of your children? I'd like to talk to the rest of you after because you're lying. The ones who raised your hand first and didn't raise it the second. Everybody, you can't survive if you don't. There's no, here's the problem. There's only two kinds of punishment in the world. There's punitive punishment, and there's redemptive punishment. So punitive punishment punishes a child or a person for doing it wrong, and they want them to stop, but more than that, they want them to pay the price for what they did wrong. Punitive. Redemptive says, I don't want you to do it again, but I'm going to help you not do it again. And before you even start to think about doing it again, I'm going to reconcile you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to let you know that you're mine. Real parenting, good parenting, does that kind of punishment, not the other. And that's, 
That's why God says to us in Hebrews, he says, listen, I love you enough to discipline you. Not because I want to hurt you, but because I want you to know the privilege of being in the Father. I want to come to you as your Father, and I want to discipline you, because if I don't, then you'll never have my best. Because you do sin as a believer, and I want to deal with that sin in your life and give you a door of access that you can live in forgiveness and outside of that. Let me me read it to you. It's in Hebrews I'm going to read it from the message because I like the way the words come in. Sorry for the little bit length of text. It says this. Have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training, the normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off big time, for it is the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. Have you ever, have you ever run into a buzzsaw of problems and trials and difficulty and challenges, and even awareness of sin, and you thought, God, I really, I really hope I learned this the first time because I don't want to have to do it again. And God says to us, I know you can't be all that you want to be. And you know you can't be all you want to be. That's why I'm coming to touch you and change you. Teach me, God, teach me to surrender to my Father who disciplines me as his child so I can have the best of God. So what we're going to do in this series is talk about some things that draw us away from God and that God wants to step in and draw us back to himself. And then last but not least, because he's our father, we want to please him. I don't know what key verses you have in your life, but my favorite key strong verse in my life is John 8, 29. Jesus said, he's talking about his relationship with the father, the one who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone, for I do always what pleases him. Wow, 24-hour days, seven-day weeks, four-week months, 12-month years, Jesus always pleased the Father. Now, I know I'm not Jesus. You know I'm not Jesus. I know I'm not perfect. I I know that. I know that. But this draws me. If he's really my Father, then wouldn't I want to please him? So the cry of my heart, just being honest with you, the cry of my heart is, oh God, help me to please you. Help me to please you. My dad wasn't, um, wasn't much of a dad, to be honest with you. He wasn't very patient with children at all, wasn't very interested in children. He was interested in having them, but not having them, if you know what I mean. And my mom made up for it many times over. I don't remember ever being held by my dad. I don't remember ever being hugged by him. I don't remember ever being 
love my him. One of my earliest memories of my dad is he said to me, do you always have to have a book in your hand? He wasn't a reader, and I was born reading, I think. Anyway, just life. And my mom was wonderful and gracious. And my dad, as we became older, as we became more adults, it became, um, it became more real, to be honest. So I go to pastor in Montreal. I'm 27 years old, and, and we're living in an apartment, and we have the storefront church in Montreal. My first church started out as a senior pastor, and church started to grow, and we were struggling with money a little bit. Lots of people are. Lots of churches are. And we had a small business that rented the upstairs of our church, about part of it. And so they left. They went bankrupt, actually. And so I decided to turn that into an apartment. So I started and built an apartment there. I'm not handy at all. I don't know how to fix anything. I just know you can find stuff out. You ask a lot of questions. And, and so I, I built an apartment. It had a living room, dining room, kitchen, three bedrooms, and two baths. There were some miracles in this, to be honest with you. I remember laying hardwood flooring uh, on, in this living room into the hallway, into a couple of entranceways, into the dining room, and, and I didn't know you shouldn't start in a corner. Nobody told me you shouldn't do that. I just started in the corner, and I actually cut my first board when I got to the kitchen. Never had to cut a board. That had to be a bit of a miracle for those of you that build things. So my dad came to visit, and he was in Montreal, and he came to visit and, and when I was in Montreal, and he... Um, he looked at my doors into the bedrooms, and he said, how did you hang those doors? So I told him, and he said, you can't hang a door like that. I said, try them. They work. So he tried them, and he came over to me with these big, gnarly hands, and he got beat up working carpenter work, and he didn't pat me on the shoulder. He touched me on the shoulder, and he said, they work. Well done. I never looked for anything from my dad in all those years. I can't get over how much that meant to me that my dad would say, well done. When you want to please the Father, when you live to please the Father, the Father comes and holds you in his arms and pats you on his shoulder and says, well done. And folks, you don't have to wait to heaven to hear it. It happens right now. It happens all the time. That's how I feel about my heavenly Father. I want to please Him. And I go to Him because I am His child. And one of the ways I go to Him is when I fail and make mistakes and have sin. I go to Him because, because I want Him to listen and I want me to learn and I want to live for the Father so I can have the best of God. And every time I go to him, he reminds me of this. I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's judicial forgiveness. I have been forgiven. I'm a child of God. And then he reminds me, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's parental forgiveness. Would you say it with me? I am a child of God. Would you say it with me? He is my Father. Let's try it one more time. I am a child of God. He is my Father. Hmm. Wow. Do you see the life in this? 
I don't know if this amazes you like it does me, but I am so grateful, so grateful. And, and hear my heart. If you're struggling with a sin right now, if you're struggling with a failure, if you're struggling with mistake, that's not judgment. That's not negativity. That's the Holy Spirit whispering to you that you can be forgiven. That's the Holy Spirit reminding you that you have a Father waiting for you to come. And today you could have His forgiveness. I ran across this verse uh, preparing for this service, and I thought we'd close with it. Come for music. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. That's what it is to be a child of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for this amazing truth to me. Amazing. We are your children. We didn't earn it. We didn't buy it. We needed judicial forgiveness. We were strangers and enemies and foreigners. And you came and you redeemed us and you saved us and you showed us that you loved us. And when we received you, you forgave us of all our sins. Brand new slate. We started fresh and new. But God, there isn't one of us who doesn't sin and fail since. And you don't want us to live with that. You offer us something more. You offer us a Father's love that corrects and challenges and redeems. You offer us a heart that reaches out to our Father and says, Oh God, I have a Father. Here am I. God, help me. Help me to live in your cleansing and your forgiveness. Help me to live for you, God. Help me to live to please you. Because God, that we know this, we know from your word that Sin robs us of your best. And a relationship with you gives us your best over and over and over again. God, I'm asking you to do a supernatural thing here today. I'm asking you to plant this truth in the hearts of your people because it will change their lives forever. And God, as we're bowed in your presence this moment, just before we sing about resurrection life, For all of those who are sitting here today or listening and you're struggling with a sin right now or you're struggling with the mistakes that you've made or you're struggling with something in your life, if you'll yield that to God right now, you can walk out of that grave because your Father has been waiting for you to come. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because we are his children and he is our father.